Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Rethinking with Rosie. On this episode, I interview my friend Natalie. She talks about her band Son Sin Fronteras and Son Jarocho music. We also discuss immigration, deportation, stolen land, imagining a better future, and much more. I hope you enjoy. Hi. Hi. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on Rethinking with Rosie. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. So today I'm with my friend Natalie, and uh, we met this summer in our Now What summer program. And I was actually just thinking about how we've actually, we haven't met in person. We've only ever met via Zoom. So this is like, this is totally normal. This is like regular. Modern friendship. <laughs> Hopefully that will change when, when COVID goes bye-bye. Yeah, when the time is right, I'm sure we'll meet in person. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So Natalie's doing some really amazing things. And um, what do you want the people to know about you, Natalie? Just like your, um, anything in your background you want to share? Yeah, I guess I'll just let them know. I'm a 28-year-old daughter of immigrants from Argentina. I was born in Canada, but grew up in Colorado. So I always joke that I actually have roots across the continent, which makes me truly American. <laughs> um, I have had a very unique and privileged educational background. Um, I went to Harvard for my undergrad and I'm currently a PhD student um, studying Afro-Mexicans in the early modern period and their relationship to Catholic imagery at Yale University. Um, but in my free time, I am part of a Son Jarocho band called Son Sin Fronteras here in New Haven, Connecticut. Wow, that's awesome. Sounds like you're doing some really amazing things, but I want to hear more about this music. <laughs> Thank you. I want to talk more about this music. <laughs> um, so you said that it's a Son Jarocho band, and I don't really know what that means. Maybe you can explain what that means. And and your the name of your band, Son Sin Fronteras, because not everyone listening um, knows what that means. Absolutely. Um, so Son Jarocho is a type of quote-unquote folkloric music from Eastern Latin America. Um, and the variant we play comes from Veracruz, a state in Mexico. Um, and so it has indigenous Spanish and African musical influences, and that appears in its style, in its sound, in its rhythm, in the way people sing. Um, there's call and response. And so it shares a lot in common with Caribbean music, actually. Awesome. Um, our name, Son Sin Fronteras, is a play on words. And so in Spanish, uh, it literally means they are without borders, sin fronteras. Uh, but the word son has this double meaning because it's also son jarocho, the sound of jarocho, or here the, the borderless sounds. Mm -hmm. um, and so it means both we are without borders and we're playing borderless music, borderless sound. Um, and that means a lot to us. There's only three of us. There's three members. Um, Vanessa's Peruvian. I'm from Argentina or I have Argentinian descent and Jeff has Mexican descent. So we've transcended all these borders to come together and to play this music. Um, but more importantly, I think this, we play this music as a way to connect uh, movement work that's being done in New Haven with movement work that's being done across the globe, right? Trying to show that these struggles here are part of larger struggles that are happening elsewhere. Wow, that's incredible. Um, when did you start your band? I, well, the band itself started in 2018 when I moved to New Haven to begin my PhD program. So I first learned how to play Son Jarocho in DC. I lived there for three years um, from a local group called Son Cosita Seria. Um, they're a little serious thing is the translation of the name and they're a group that is very much still around. Um, and that group was started by Salvador Sarmiento, who's an organizer for the National Day Laborers Organization. And he 
started teaching people son jarocho or to play the harana, which is one of the main instruments of son jarocho. Um, he started to teach people how to play it for free as a community event and as a way to so that people could play this music at different protests and and um, community gatherings as a way to enliven these spaces and, and, and connect this music that was destined for a type of uh, protesting in the past uh, to continue that tradition now here in the present as we continue to face um, struggles that are very much connected to the legacies of colonization. Um, and so when I came to New Haven, I was really sad to leave Son Cosita Seria. I was sad not to know if I was going to be able to play this music with people. But lo and behold, I, I connected with um, an immigrants rights organization here. And the, literally the first day, they were like, do you play music? I was like, yeah, I actually play Son, son Jarocho. They're like, we just bought two haranas. Will you teach us? I was like, absolutely, yes. And so we were able to form a little group here. And uh, I was, yeah, we were able to, uh, we meet weekly. And I was able to teach them my basic skills. I'm not a professional and by any means. And now with COVID, um, the blessing in disguise is that we are able to learn through a maestra in Oaxaca through the magic of Zoom. Wow. That sounds like it was meant to be. Like how yeah, the music brought us together. The music <laughs> finds a way to get out. <laughs> so you mentioned playing music at, at protests and that it's like part of a larger movement. Um, and when you were talking about the name of your band, I was actually wondering if it was beyond just you as a group, if it was connected to the kind of movement work that you're involved with. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, when I first connected with Son Jarocho, it was a simultaneous um, relationship that I was building with the music and the music group. And as I was building with movement work in DC around immigrant rights and abolishing ICE and taking ICE out of DC. Um, and so that's when I think a more formal education of my understanding of undocumented immigrants and like what um, ICE does and how it functions began um, in DC. And so uh, this music is meant to be played um, where the people are to bring joy even in these very difficult and very pressing and harmful and abusive situations that we can still reclaim our own joy. We can still find ways to sing, to dance, um, to sing our truths, to sing our demands um, and to connect with the struggles of the past and to connect with the struggles that are happening across different borders that are happening in Mexico, that are happening in Latin America. Um, so, yeah. No, that's great. Um, yeah, I'd actually like to know more about how you've grown to um, fight for undocumented immigrants. Like why you're interested in that. I, um, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, that you've been privileged with the education you've had. And I've, I've mentioned on this podcast before how, I also felt like very privileged and I even like went through this privilege chart. But um, so if, I'm just mentioning that because in my experience or like my personal progression, um, you know, I didn't always uh, understand or even care about undocumented immigrants. It wasn't until I was teaching and working with students who were undocumented and hearing their stories that I realized why people are brought here and I res completely respected their decision to be here. And I, I was glad, I was like so glad that my students were here because based on their background, the alternative was basically that they'd be buried, you know, like life or death situations I'm talking about. So um, what kind of got you into wanting to, to change or get involved with um, people who are working to change the circumstances regarding undocumented immigrants? Yeah. I mean, I grew up not in an Argentinian community. There's not very many Argentinos in Colorado, but definitely very much in the Latinx community. And my 
mom, one of the many things she does is she does people's taxes during tax season. And so very early on, she dispelled any false narratives that undocumented people were not paying taxes, which was just this byline I remember um, being just splashed across the news, right? Undocumented people don't pay taxes. And she was like, I, I literally do their taxes for them. Like, no, <laughs> I'm filing it for them. That's not true. Um, so I think that was kind of the beginning of an awareness that like the narrative were being fed by quote unquote authority figures and what I'm seeing my mom, who's like, I'm always gonna trust <laughs> say, uh, just weren't fitting. Um, and I think it was just like a slow process of what one might call radicalization of, you know, attending in high school, um, a workshop on called La Raza and it's uh, meeting undocumented students there in high school and then definitely in college becoming friends with um, undocumented students. We've always had undocumented people in our, my life and then like as family friends, um, so I think in that sense that friendships are so important. Um, and I always say that friendship is the most radical of all relationships because you're mutually invested in one another, right? There's nothing really, you don't have to be connected like family or yeah. marriage, but you're still showing up for one another, like a true friendship, right? And so um, allowing, learning from my undocumented friends so generously as they educated me um, and then learning more and more in DC about how these borders are being controlled and created how ice functions, how ice mutates, um, learn about the history of like who benefits, who benefits from oppressing undocumented immigrants, who benefits from their silence, right? Um, and I think that's a question that we need to consistently ask ourselves so that we know who to target. But so part of it is um, wanting to show up for my friends, which means wanting to show up for my community. Um, I've uh, when I was in DC, I helped create an educational programming for a small institution there called Dumbarton Oaks, uh, specifically for Latinx youth. A lot of them are undocumented or migrant youth that were coming straight from Honduras and Guatemala and are coming and ending up in Southern Maryland. Um, and you hear their stories and it's not a joke. Um, obviously, my research in Mexico has influenced me. And like, I think the thing that always breaks my heart is that I think the one thing, one of the things that maybe unites Latin American culture is just our love for family. And I know that sounds kind of stereotypical, but it's also so true. Just like people, like family means so much. And then to see here families being torn apart, it, like people don't understand the, the wound they're creating, I think. Like, it's just unbelievable to me that that's something that can be done, that, that someone even thinks of doing. Um, so yeah yeah thank you so much for saying all these things um 100 agree here and i think it's really important the questions that you're posing um and i also really appreciate you bringing up this thing about taxes because um it is an ongoing lie that's being told i see it all the time um i have a bad habit of uh looking at comments of um like news articles and I don't know, I think at this point, I kind of do it just to kind of, I don't know how to explain it, like, get a measure for myself of where people are at. And like, mm -hmm. I feel good when I'm like, oh, great, there's like all these people challenging this idea, like, wow, that's like more people than I thought would say that kind of a thing. But then when I see people like, saying these old lies about taxes, for example, and like countless people like bringing that up, I'm just like, wow, really, you're still on that thing, huh? Uh, <laughs> that one suck. That one suck. That that it's um actually the most recent event we Sonsin Fronteras played at was to demand a governor of Connecticut, Ned Lamont, to provide more relief for undocumented immigrants during COVID. Um, they're definitely they pay taxes, but they, they don't get the benefits of the check. Yeah. Right? Of and so yeah, even though they're essential workers, even though they are just as likely, if not probably more prone to getting corona, um, even though they're paying taxes, they don't get to reap any of those benefits. Um, and I think the other thing I'd want to say is even if, I, I think what, what bothers me sometimes too about the narrative that happens with um, undocumented immigration is, um, well, we just want good immigrants and not bad immigrants. Right, and we just want to we want to keep the ones who are here to work and not the criminals. And I am here to say no. We we stop all deportations. We stop all of it. We do not separate families. Um, even even, and I think that's a very um, 
radical thing to say, but even if they have a DUI, even if they did something wrong, deportations should not be the solution because obviously this method is being abused. Um, and I think that for me aligns with my abolition politics of, of not wanting prisons and punishment, but restorative justice. Obviously we're not in a world where restorative justice is happening now, but that's the kind of world I want to keep envisioning. Yeah, I, I definitely want that kind of world too. And I think it's existing in some very small spaces, but I'd love to hear more about this concept of no deportations. Um, when you were giving those examples about, you know, we only want the good immigrants. And I hear people saying that all the time. Um, a lot of, even my friends, you know, friends that I, friends that I think generally have the same like political views as me, sometimes they'll say those kind of things. And, and I'm just wondering, like, what do you really mean by that? Like, is, is the underlying thought when you say those kind of things, are you really saying like, you don't want immigrants from a certain geographical area? Because that's the immigration system that we have. We have a system that allows people to come from different countries, more people from different countries and less people from Latin America. And it's like, I think a 20 year or more wait if you are trying to legally immigrate from Mexico or other um, Central American countries. And these are people who literally will die if they do not come right now. But we don't know. And the other thing I want to mention is that we do, we do not allow asylum for people fleeing for gang violence, that the UN um, defines asylum seekers as anyone fleeing for their lives. But the US said, no, we're going to change that definition. And it's only for these certain things that will grant asylum. So they don't generally grant asylum for people fleeing for their lives. It's only if you're fleeing for your lives for certain things that the US thinks um, that you can come here to escape. Right, right, right. Um, I think, yeah, what do you mean by good immigrant? And I think it requires really thinking through, well, what do we mean by criminal? What does this category do or to actually define? We know how this term criminal, law and order have really hurt the black community and then how it's been co-opted to then um, control and the Latinx community and the undocumented community, right? These systems of oppression are interlinked. And so if we're thinking about, well, there's these bad undocumented immigrants who are murdering or having DUIs or stuff, um, well, we can look at the statistics and it's like, not that, you know, it's not like it's a disproportionate amount of like undocumented people doing quote unquote criminal activity. Um, but if they are doing it, what is the best solution to just remove them? Because then, and by that logic, let's remove anyone who has a DUI. Let's remove anyone who does these things. Right? <laughs> um, like why, why specifically the immigrant, right? And like, they didn't go through here lawfully. They didn't go through all the rules. And it's just, in the United States, we are not taught to learn and just sit with the uncomfortable fact of the history of this nation that no one came here legally mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. i also don't like the narrative we are all immigrants because that's not true that you are colonizers or there are people who are the descendant of enslaved people mm -hmm. and then there are some immigrants right an immigrant goes to a new place and they change their life and fit into what the new country is a colonizer goes into that place and claims it for themselves and changes the place around them right and so this narrative that we're all doing the kind of the same thing isn't true. And I don't think it highlights or really attends to the actual history of the United States that, you know, I really like the phrase that I sometimes will see on March posters or on t-shirts that you, no one is illegal on stolen land. Yes. We're going to talk about what it means to be undocumented or a criminal. Well, what does it mean to be is, is being a being a colonizer that seems like pretty criminal to me you know so uh, the kind of human rights atrocities that are committed so we're going to punish someone for a dui but we're not going to punish the people who forcibly separated children from their parents that yeah. doesn't make sense to me um so stop all deportations because the system isn't working it isn't working and it's not going to work by reforming it, right? It's not going to work by changing it a little, but you don't get more, I'm, I'm quoting Angela Davis here, you don't have a more humane um, death penalty, right? It's like, oh, it's just, no, it's an oxymoron. You can't yeah. have a more humane deportation system. No, no. 
No, that, and that's what being an abolitionist means, right? It means that you look out at the systems in place and you say no to them. But the, there's no way that you can change this corrupt, broken system. And we need a new system. We need a new system. Um, and as Angela Davis was saying, you know, well, you, radical means getting at the root of it, pulling it out by its roots, and then planting something new. So, right, like you said, it's seeing something, it doesn't work, rejecting it, but then thinking of what are you going to build as well, right? Restorative justice, transformational justice. And those are things that even though we can't practice it at an institutional level yet, I think we can practice it at an interpersonal level. I still think it's within our bounds to practice it with when you have little bumps and fights with your friends, when you're talking to your friends who are saying things like, well, only the good immigrants, right? Like how can we actually think through these things together and deepen our friendship as a result of it and not actually divide ourselves? Yeah, this conversation is gonna be so pumped up. I'm ready to go protest right now. Yes, let's go to the street. Yeah, um, but yeah, I just wanted to name something else that you talked about, about, you know, that this this is land that, that was stolen um, that, and we haven't cared for it. Um, we have not taken on the responsibility of care that indigenous people had taken on for millennia and still have and like any any protections we have on land, I would say probably goes to them to give them credit for fighting for it. Um, but um, along with that is also recognizing that, especially right here I am in California, you know, that we're, we're part of, we were part of Mexico and like, I think most of the US was, like this is all part of this one continent. And um, then other people decided how to break it up and then created the laws of who was allowed in this land that really isn't any, like land is not ownable if we take an indigenous perspective, you cannot own land. Um, but yeah, so these immigrants that were refusing to let in, this is their homeland, this is their home continent. And there's other people from another continent that came here. So it's like this whole concept of like, whose land is it really? Um, or I actually want to get rid of that, that concept, but it's like, who is allowed to decide who can reside on what parts of the same continent? Mm -hmm. And like oh, who has ancestral rights to the land as well. Like people that are immigrating from another continent, they don't have ancestral rights to this land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, um, but it's also difficult because, because of the way, because of the history of colonization, so many people in Latin America have indigenous um, roots and they have European roots. Yeah. Um, I mean, and like, again, like my family is from Argentina, European pretty much through and through. So, and obviously Argentinians do not face the same type of discriminations that other people from Latin America face, not by any means. Um, but, but also, you know, a lot of like, I have so many Mexican friends who, who identify by being Mexican, not by being indigenous or European. They're like, I'm, I identify with the nation state, by Mexico, right? And so it's also, that becomes now difficult, right? Because so many people, they can't, uh, like people who are purely indigenous in Mexico are so discriminated against. And it's, you're absolutely right though. So many of people who are um, illegally uh, crossing the border are actually indigenous. Like literally indigenous do not actually speak Spanish or Spanish is their second language. Yeah. Um, and that's something I think a lot of people don't always realize. Um, and so these borders that are being imposed are fictions they're very loud fictions they're very harmful fictions they hurt people but that doesn't mean they're permanent right they're still permeable the border has been placed and on and taken out when when it benefits the united states government when it benefits capitalism when they need workers <laughs> um and then when it benefits maintaining you know current power dynamics yeah the, well. the u.s absolutely benefits from the immigration system that we have in place, which is why nothing's changing. And um, I think it's up to the people to push it to change. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, people power. And I think I was, I was talking to one of my friends, her name's Faith, yesterday, bringing her into this space. Um, and she was thinking like, I just wanna know like, you know, a lot of white people are asking, well, what can I do? What can I do? to help with, you know, BLM or any of these issues. And she was just like, I just want to know, like, what future do you really want? Like, how do you envision 
the future? And what do you want it to look like? Because we know what we want it to look like, but how do you actually want it to be? And like really interrogating that. I just want to pick up this mic and drop it for you right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's not mine, so I won't do that. (laughs) But yes, I agree. And I like that she asked that question. Like I had never been able to form those thoughts into that question. But that's really what it comes down to because there's a lot of people that want to do something. They stand for Black Lives Matter, but they do not want to sacrifice certain things in order to get racial equality. Like, I, I think you have to be willing to sacrifice. Um, like I was telling my mom the other day that uh, we were talking about like different political parties and like sometimes it comes down to taxes and I'm like, I would be happy to pay more taxes if it went to these places, like if it benefited these people and if I benefited in these different ways. So I think um, if people aren't willing to give up some of the things they have to help others, I mean, I would ask why. I mean, like, but yet you you do want to end racial inequality, but like how badly do you want to end it? Like, how do you actually think that's going to look like in the future? Where are you standing in that future? What's your job? How much, what's your income, right? Like, it's going to look, is it looking the same as it is now? Or is it looking radically different? Um, Yeah, I think there's just this scarcity mentality that really infects us. That's a product of of capitalism that we just all think we don't have enough. And there's always more to get and, and hoard and that we need to keep what we have and protect it. And we have so much we we have each other we really do have ways to con, you know connect and care for one another and i think we need to build that tr- trust ourselves and and trust that we can provide and that we will be provided for um and that our communities can extend beyond our people right and include the land include our non-human persons trees and animals mm-hmm. and different aspects that we need to also think about how are they part of this our conversation and um so thinking about the land as not uh just resources but from an indigenous perspective as something that is a relative to us uh then the idea of borders literally doesn't make sense you can't just border off part of your body <laughs> like no no you can't um so i want to preface this question just by saying that like when I say I support something and somebody sometimes asks me to provide details about, about it, sometimes I'm like, well, that's not really fair for you to expect me just because I support something to like have all of the details about it, especially when that's not my background. Like I support it and I'm expecting somebody whose background is in blah, blah, blah to provide the details of what that looks like. However, I'm wondering if you have any um, visions or imagination of what uh, a different a new immigration system might look like if not I want to say like that's not fair of me to ask you but if you have something that you wanted to share I wanted to give you the opportunity (laughs) gosh um I don't think I have a vision for in terms of like specific details I think I don't want I know what I I don't want um any more deportations um I don't I think we should abolish ICE Yes. Just out of the question. Absolutely. And open borders, flexible borders. I mean, I want us to evolve. I don't think we should have nation states. Right. But like, so this is like way ahead of the, (laughs) ahead of the curve. Um, But like, at least the very least, like open borders. Um, And then I think we should be listening to, I want to like defer to like what undocumented immigrants want. What do they envision? What do indigenous people envision? Let's listen to their stories and the futures that they're envisioning. Yeah, thank you. I think that um, when people hear that, they automatically start like worrying about their family and protections and safety. Um, And I'm wondering, like, is there somewhere that they could maybe find out more about different types of of, of safety, Um, maybe re-envisioning what safety means? Um, For example, like, you know, when it was indigenous people here who before colonization, people protected themselves and they had agreements and, you know, not everyone like lived together in this one giant country. Like they were sovereign nations within the same continent. Um, So do you think that we can learn from the way indigenous people, um, I guess, separated and yet also collaborated amongst different um, nations? 
Absolutely. And I think we need to also be listening to like black women and how they're envisioning restorative justice and transformational justice and like looking at like reading, reading Angela Davis and Miriam Kava and Audre Lorde and um, listening to, yeah, their, their futures and, and their imaginations. Um, I guess my, from what I've gathered, the sense that I'm getting is that it just makes, I think we're going to have to shift to focusing more locally and really like, right, if, if, if you want to build a sense of safety, then you should build a sense of trust. And so that really means getting to know your neighbors. That means getting to know and, and uh, taking care of them, of the people who are around you, of having a strong sense of what community is. What is it that's bringing these people, you, you together? Um, and right now, what brings people together, again, it's like nationalism and- uh, Fear fear, right? Do we need, you know, how can we build on different sets of values um, of, of, of community and communal sharing and being together? And, and again, being, who's part of your community isn't just like people, but like non-persons as well, right? What is, the, yeah. what, are, what is the nature that's around you that needs to be part of your community? Um, so I think for me, and I, I just want to try to focus more locally, I don't really know how to do that yet either, because I feel like what plagues a lot of millennials is that we're moving constantly. We're moving from place to place and searching for different jobs. So how do I really settle in a single uh, place is, and, and when's the right time and how much do I get involved or questions I, I don't have answers to. I'm still trying to live through them. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like, I, again, I wanna recognize that it's not really fair to expect you to have like all the answers to all the things you support because I don't like when people expect that of me. Um, because again, like I have my own specialization, which is education and like beyond that, I'm not an expert and there are experts that exist. And so when I say these things, I'm saying like, Hey, experts, this is how I want you to build the future around. So like, get on it. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, there are people much, much, much more knowledgeable than I am. So I appreciate you saying that because it's true. I support these things, I'm, um, but I am definitely not on the front lines. Like I said, I'm not an organizer, but I am here to support, right? You and I both have, we're, we're in the academic world right now. Um, but I think it's important for us to show up and show you can do both. You don't, academia doesn't mean siphoning yourself off from the things that you care about from the outside world, from real community issues, even though sometimes I have certainly had actual, actual academics tell me, uh, yeah, when you're in academia or in grad school, all you can do is grad school. That's the only thing you can do. I'm like, well, it looks like you didn't care about anybody else. <laughs> like, <laughs> Nobody's told me that, luckily, um, because that I would have left if they told me that, because like my whole purpose of being in grad school is like on behalf of a community and yeah um and like what you mentioned about like moving I definitely identify with that um as millennials like we are moving from place to place and I feel like I'm like living in two states because I am basically <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, like, I care about my local community and I try to stay involved and when I'm here I'm like always looking about what's going on in Salt Lake City and then when I'm in Salt Lake City I'm like trying to get involved but then I'm like looking like what's going on here that I need to be aware of and it's a lot it's like can they're very different places can more people care so that um I can like not have to worry you know and I, it's, of course it's not all on me and I know there's tons of people that care I don't want to say like you guys suck and nobody cares that's messed up I want to say like thank you for the people who are working hard um who are organizing who are um, you know, writing, who are just doing everything that they can to make some changes because it really, every little thing counts, I would say. Everything little, th every little thing helps. Um, speaking of which, um, can you tell us like about how your music has, um, I don't know, but I guess been part of some of the things that you support or like how you put your heart into it or does anything you want to share about um, movements, about organizing, about playing at protests? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the our music again, it's a way to bring in joy and levity and excitement into these protest spaces. They can be hard. It's draining. Movement work is draining and exhausting and people experience so much burnout and again, I have so much respect and love for movement workers and organizers. Uh, one of the people in Son Sin Fronteras, Vanessa Suarez is both part of the um, Semillas Collective here in Connecticut and works for Connecticut Bail Fund. So major shout out to her. She does so much work for the people um, and for the immigrant community here in Connecticut. And I'm just in awe of her and she is just one of my teachers and I love learning from her and playing with her. And then Jeff too. Jeff is part of Colectiva um, and he does, he just shows up. He He's a consistent person who just shows up and provides what he can. And so um, the music both gives Vanessa and Jeff and me a place to decompress um, and to connect with something, learn something new. And it's an instrument, you know, the harana, it's such a beautiful instrument. It has such a full and rich sound. The energy you put into it is the energy that comes out of it. The volume can change dramatically. It's very rhythmic. Um, so the harana can really be a conduit for you to release all these energies out. Um, and people love it. People love the music. It brings them so much happiness. They want to dance, but they don't quite know how to dance to it, but they're going to dance anyway. And we can find joy. And that's crazy, right? We can find joy in the midst of families being torn apart. That's not supposed to happen. But I think this is the biggest F you you can give, right? Is that you're loving yourself and your communities all the more. Um, so I think the, the music in many ways inspires me and then and inspires others, but other people inspire us as well, right? To share to share this music that has been created to subvert authority. I mean, there's songs that are from the colonial period, right? 17th century that are all about sexual innuendos, um, like the chuchumbe. And uh, it's because they're 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 making fun of friars and priests, right? Oh, so, okay. so there's a lot of subversive um, messaging and so many, so many. Um, you're, bringing, you're, you're bringing in some academia there in, in your music, huh? Yeah. <laughs> some of your history work. There you go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. um, Can I play um, a clip? Sure. Okay. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we're Sonsin Fronteras, um, and as Fatima introduced us, we were founded in 2018. We play music called Son Jarocho. Um, the style we play comes from Veracruz, Mexico, and it honors and includes indigenous, black, and Spanish influences. Um, and it has been used for protest music and for movement work, so that is what we hope to bring you here today. Our first song is called Agua <laughs> Just wearing a mask and like standing still and not talking to anyone, much less singing. 
Yeah, that was a first. <laughs> but I, I loved how like you start out just you and then like they join in and um and, like you alternate with the singers and then I think later on everyone's singing together. But um yeah, do you want to tell us about that song? Because it was just so fast that I didn't really catch the lyrics. Sorry. Yeah, I mean I don't know it Awalulko, the chorus is, I've just arrived from Awalulko and I just finished this dance and I danced it in the way they say Mexican women dance it. <laughs> and so it's just a fun song. I don't think there's not a narrative necessarily to it. And I, I don't know the full history, so I'm sorry, I won't be able to provide a full detailed analysis no of Awalulko is a place. Um, and then another song we play that people really love is called Señor Presidente. So we're giving our demands to miss the, to our to our president, telling him, you know, immigrants are here to stay. They're not going to go anywhere. Um, you know, it's time for you to pay attention because the revolution is happening. Um, and then everyone sings together the the chorus. Uh, me gusta la lima, me gusta el limón, pero no me gusta la deportación. Um, and so we try to get everyone to sing that with us. And so that provides a sense of, of community. Um, and it's fun, but it's also very serious at the same time. Um, so what people just heard are the three jaranas. Usually, if someone's performing, you also have a quijada, which is either a donkey or a horse jaw that you bang and it creates this kind of rattling sound. You can also have a cajon, which is another percussive instrument. You can have a requinto, which is another type of guitar-like instrument um, that has it provides the melody. So far, our group is only three. Uh, the illustrious Jeff Valdez is learning requinto to, uh, but neither Jeff or Vanessa knew Harana until two years ago, right? They've totally, you know, everything they've learned is within the last two years. They're good. Um, yeah, so really, I think it's, you know, we're not a professional group. We don't intend to be a professional group. We're not here to get gain money from this at all. If, if anyone gives us money, it's just to go back to the group so we can eventually buy more Haranas, more instruments to expand it. Um, but even though we're not, we're very local and we do this for the people. It's by the people, for the people. Um, it isn't the most polished work, but it's still a gift worth giving, which I just really appreciate that people receive it. And we both, we give it with joy and people receive it with joy. Um, so our goal is to, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going to be in New Haven forever. Um, so the goal is to expand the group and to get more people so that so on Team Fronteras isn't just about the people, but about the, the idea of community, that people can co continuously to come in. It's not tied to me, right? It's not tied to any single person because it's, it's not about us, it's about the music. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that people probably really appreciate it. Um, I actually don't think people realize like how significant music can be to protests. Um, like, you know, they are serious. Obviously, they're about a serious issue. But, like, when it comes down to, like, chanting and all that, like, you know, you want to keep the energy level up. Um, you know, people are losing their voices and, like, giving the chanters a break. Like, all of these things are really significant. And um, I think that you're probably making more of a difference than you know to the people who are out there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we definitely need the arts and protest, right? We need the, we need to bring in all different forms of, I think, theater and music and painting. Um, and I just love, I think I just really love and appreciate those moments when the arts and activism, artivism <laughs> come yeah. together. It's a cute artivism a little bit, especially when like, because like the last one I went to, there was some counter protesters, you know, and I just feel like it wasn't serious. There weren't that many, but I just feel like, you know, when there's, when there's like some kind of art involved, it really draws the attention to, um, you know, the people who are actually trying to make a change on something. So. Yeah. And I was, we were playing this music and I saw, you know, people were dancing and like singing along. And then I saw even the police officers were dancing and tapping okay. their foot. And I was like, I don't know what to think about this. <laughs> it's like, oh, this isn't for you, but it's also like, 
you know, in the world where we don't have police and like that person who is underneath the police officer uniform, like it is, it's for you, Billy, like it is for you. It's not for Billy, the police officer necessarily, but like, I do want you to be a part of this. Like, look how much joy we have together. Don't you want to be a part of this? (laughs) I was just thinking that. I love how you named him Billy, by the way. (laughs) But but yeah, like maybe, you know, it's, it's a job and you never know what's going to happen with the person that's under the uniform, as you just said. Um, So I was one, I have like a couple other questions. Um, One, I was wondering if you've always been part of like, how am I trying to phrase this question? I'm sorry. Like if your movements for undocumented immigrants have always been part of the Black Lives Matter movement, or if it's changed due to recent events, or maybe it hasn't changed and it's always just been focused on undocumented immigrants. I think I became more aware of the connection between undocumented immigration and mass incarceration of Black people and like the policing and surveillance of Black populations through the first iteration of Black Lives Matter in like 2014. I was not always aware of my own racism for sure. And I was not always aware of the ways in which anti-Blackness informs my life and is like the root of this country. so that was definitely a much slower process. Um, and, and, and again, in DC is when I think a lot of these things converged. Um, I would also say uh, the 13th or the, the new Jim Crow, both the book and then the, the documentary on Netflix helped inform, you know, educate me a lot um, in terms of just understanding it's like it's literally the same company that's building prisons that is also building these detention centers. So there are, that is also like involved with Israel and like, um, and, and Palestine. Uh, so these issues are international. They're definitely, or, or at least global, maybe that's the better word. They're global, interconnected. They are all serving to maintain like white supremacy in a very real way. Um, and so it wasn't, I think I, I came to undocumented immigration as an issue first and then later um, grew in my understanding of anti-Blackness and the importance of BLM, what they're saying, how. I can use that to radicalize myself and really fight for a collective liberation because all of our struggles are tied together, right? And as they, you know, we're, we're not all free. I, I'm not free until we're all free, right? Yeah. And so I do truly believe in that. Thank you for sharing that and for um, also promoting um, 13th. I've talked about it on here before. It's so important. I, I also, I watched it with my mom. <laughs> uh, my mom couldn't. She was like, I, I don't want to watch that. Like, I can't take it. I hope one day maybe she, she'll be able to, but um, I tried to, like, give her a summary. Um, but, yeah, it's just so, oh, I'll, it's, it's, like, scary how everything is connected. Like, all this corruption everywhere is so connected. And then, like, how much there is to unravel. Like, how much there is to learn about it all just when you think like you learned something about here and then you're like oh what's going on over there too and this is sometimes it's overwhelming but um i'm wondering if you um have any ways like if there's somebody listening right now that maybe is like man i didn't realize all this stuff about undocumented immigrants i would like to do something can you give them any tips or a place to start Ooh, I think places to start, honestly, maybe to just hear more stories. I think there's so many just podcasts out there also, and listen to Rosie's podcast. <laughs> uh, listen to stories that are also on, I think This American Life had a recent story about um, the re- immigration rate that happened in Tennessee. Um, so I think that just is an important listening to. Uh, get pl- look at different bail funds. So like I'll shout out Connecticut Bail Fund where Vanessa works. Um, who are the people who are doing organizing in your community? Listen to undocumented immigrants first. Are there undocumented people in your life? Even if they're not your friends, like just maybe being aware, like where all these people are or are not, right? Um, why, if you don't have undocumented friends, why is that? Like, you know, who are your friends? What community spaces are you around? Like, is it going to be really difficult for you to get connected or not? And just using those as using all of this as an opportunity to just understand how you're moving through the world right now. Um, so like having an honest evaluation of yourself can help you make different types of choices to connect with people who are doing the work. But I think 
because of on because of the internet and online, you can just pretty easily just find you know the kind of work that's happening locally. And I guess that's what I'll emphasize. Try to find the local organizers. I do not want to disregard the incredible work that national organizations do. Um, but me personally, I have found a lot of um, I've grown a lot in these interpersonal relationships that really happen from a grassroots level. And those people are often a little bit harder to find, but not impossible. So I would say try to also seek out the grassroots people. Thank you for saying that. I, I agree. I think like you should be able to look for like support or just like undocumented immigrants in your city or something like that. And like, I'm sure an organization will come up, but just, you know, make sure it's a legit one and not one like trying to like, don't go to the ICE website and be like, how no. can I get involved? Please, no. Yeah. <laughs> Please, no. But yeah, like, for here, locally here, I just want to uh, mention MyCOP. Um, it's the Misteco um, organizing. I don't remember all the acronyms, sorry, but you can just search for MyCOP. And uh, I think they're always looking for volunteers. And I think, like, just like look up what is the most spoken second language in your area, like right around here, it's, it's Spanish and it would really benefit um, the community that you'd be trying to support. If you like learned a little bit of Spanish, you can download Duolingo and like at least learn how to say like, how, how are you, you know? And then mm -hmm. like, how does like end the conversation by saying like, I'm learning Spanish and then they'll, they'll understand like, you can't go any further, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not always going to be Spanish though. Like there's other languages in other cities. So. Right. And well, absolutely. And there's indigenous languages, right? There's a lot of people who actually speak Nahuatl as their yeah. first language, not Spanish, but they're having trouble through the immigration system because they don't fully understand what's happening. Um, so try to see what's happening in other places too, like a sanctuary DMV in the DC area, I think has done really incredible work in terms of like accompaniment. So like accompanying people to their court hearings or to their ICE check-ins and then seeing, you know, at least like this person showing up with a group of people, if something goes wrong, you have a group of people there who knows what's happening, who can witness it, who can try to do something. Um, so look at other, what other people are doing too. Maybe we can learn from one another. Yeah, totally. Thank you. And like social media can also be a big help with this. Um, so do you, is there anything else that you want to add or you want people to know? Um, I think I just want to, again, shout out Connecticut Bail Fund and the Samias Collective here in Connecticut. I want to shout out Raices Oaxaca. It's the Son Jarocho group that my maestra, Viviana Perez Bautista, um, is a part of. So if you want to check out real professional Son Jarocho, check out Raices from Oaxaca. Um, they're incredible. Awesome. Thank you so much. I, I hope that people learned more than, than I even learned today. I really appreciate your expertise and also all of the work that you're doing with, with um, Son Sin Fronteras. Um, love the music, love the message. And yeah, just thank you for your time in, in um, supporting the movements and for spending an hour with me. Oh, well, thank you for creating this space and letting us, letting me talk about um, this beautiful, beautiful type of mu music. Um, and I learned just as much from you right now talking with you too. And, and so um, this has been so wonderful and I really appreciate it. Okay, so should we say bye in Nahuatl then? Oh my gosh. Okay. Tlaskamati y timuitase. Tlaskamati mia timuitase. Por lo mismo libertad, por lo mismo libertad.